0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. This is the Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021 podcast. As many listeners to this podcast are well aware, we're currently waiting on the CDFI Fund's announcement of the calendar year 2020 New Markets Tax Credit Awards. The CDFI Fund will be awarding $5 billion in Equity Issuance Authority. And we expect the announcement soon, although what soon means depends on who you ask. And we plan on having a Tax Tuesday podcast summarizing some of the key takeaways from the 2020 allocation round and awards shortly after the allocations are announced. So do be watching for that. And while we wait for the 2020 allocations to be announced, today's podcast will focus on another upcoming event that is front of mind for many community development entities or CDEs. That is the opening of the calendar year 2021 new market tax allocation round. Specifically during the podcast, we're going to discuss steps that CDE should be taking now to get ready for writing their calendar year 2021 applications. These are steps we believe will lead to a greater chance of winning an award and receiving a large allocation in the next round. We expect the calendar year 2021 round will open in a few months after the 2021, or I should say after the 2020 awards announcement, which means potential applicants should start preparing now. That is, if they haven't already started, and many have. Mm-hmm. During the podcast, we'll address what we believe the CDFI Fund will be looking for in the two scored sections of the application and how to better ensure your application is responsive to the questions. Joining me today are two of novogratic's in-house experts on the new Marcus tax credit. My partner, Nicola Panoli from our Portland office, and Bob Ibanez, a senior public policy manager at Novogratik. Both Nicolo and Bob spoke at a Novigradic webinar last week, wherein they shared 10 tips to submitting a better application in the upcoming New Market Tax Credit application round. This podcast, unfortunately, won't be able to discuss all 10 tips that were shared during the webinar, given the time constraints. However, the webinar was recorded and can be watched on demand. I do encourage you to make the time, or at least ensure some someone or more than one of your application team makes the time to watch the webinar. I'm confident you'll learn a thing or two or three to make your application better. I'll share the link to the webinar in today's show notes. Now, broadly speaking, today's podcast is separated into four parts. Timing, eligibility, funding sources, and track record. Regarding timing, Nico and Bob will share when they expect the calendar year 2020 allocation awards to be made and when the next application round will begin. We'll then turn to eligibility, namely what CDEs need to do to help ensure they're eligible to apply for the next round. This is something I wrote about in my column in the May Novogradic Journal of Tax Credits. And if you haven't already read that column, I encourage you to do so. I'll share a link of the column in the show notes. The third area is funding sources, with a focus on the importance of lining up sources of leveraged debt now. And the fourth topic will be considerations for documenting an applicant or controlling entity's track record. Now, as noted earlier, Nicolo is a partner in the Portland office, where he has many years of experience in a range of tax audit and consulting services. Nicolo assists new market tax credit clients with allocation applications, transaction structuring and closing, compliance, exit strategies, and much more. Is also the chairman of one of our Nov- Novigradic New Market Tax Credit Conferences. Now, Bob is also a prominent figure in the new market tax credit space. Bob spent 13 years at the CFI Fund and in his final six years was the program manager for the new market tax credit. At Novogradic, Bob works with our new market tax credit clients and community development financial institutions around the nation. As you can tell, Bob and Niccolo are deeply knowledgeable in the new market tax credit incentive and will provide some very useful tips today as they did in their webinar. If you're ready, let's get started. So Bob and Niccolo, You've both previously been guests on Tax Credit Tuesday, so welcome back.
2: Thanks for Always having a us. a pleasure, Mike.
1: Now, Bob, let me start with you and with the question that I suspect our listeners are most interested in. When do you expect the 2020 round of New Market Tax Credit Awards to be announced by the CDFI Fund?
0: Well, thank you for that question, Mike. Yeah, I'm sure it's uh, at the front of everybody's mind. Uh, I think what I would uh, use as a uh, a way to uh, uh, think about this is Nicolo and I did our new market tax credit application webinar uh, right after the 2020 round opened uh, last September. Uh, and based on uh, the slide that we had in the presentation uh, for forecasting phase one and phase two review timelines, uh, we forecasted at that time that the fund uh, would be on track to make uh, an award announcement uh, in August uh, or perhaps even in early September.
1: Okay. So if that's when it were to, when the award answers were to be made, when do you think that the next round would open? All right.
0: Well, <clears throat> I'm going to start by uh, interjecting the Capital Magnet Fund in here because I think it's a program uh, that's going to be opening uh, prior to new markets. So uh, my, my, my thinking goes this way. Uh, I'm expecting the 21 uh, Capital Magnet Fund round to open in the very near future, say mid-August. Uh, Last round, uh, the CMF applicants had 60 days uh, from the opening of the round until the application deadline. So in order to not have program rounds overlap one another, uh, that would entail the CDFI Fund opening the calendar year 21 NMTC round no earlier than mid-October. I would say sometime between mid-October and late-October.
1: So if that's the case... And let me just uh, note that this is uh, speculation (laughs) (laughs) as to these dates, but it's reasoned and it's informed speculation. So I appreciate you sharing some of the reasoning behind the informed speculation. But if uh, if it is the case with the timing that you've discussed so far, what does that mean in terms of when the applications are due? Obviously, applicants need to do a lot of work. They can't wait till they're due. But clearly, when they're due does play into trying to arrange your affairs, if you will, in terms of prioritizing various tasks. So what would you think the due date would end up being?
0: Well, again, using um, 55 to 60 days as a proxy for the round being open uh, once uh, the application becomes available, uh, then I would say uh, probably sometime mid-December uh, the applications would be due, but I would not anticipate uh, that it would uh, fall any later than the holiday season at the end of December.
1: Thank you for that. Uh, we do have Brad Elf, another partner who is our historian as to prior rounds. As those who are members of the New Market Task Force Working Group know that about this time, uh, Brad starts sharing some of the statistics of prior rounds with these dates of 55 mm-hmm days or so much in terms of how many days around round is open. So if you're a member of the working group, look forward to seeing updates of that analysis. So uh, Nicolo, you've assisted New Market attachment clients for a long time. Uh, what additional thoughts do you have as to when to expect the 2020 awards to be announced or the 2021 application round to open and also when they might be due?
2: and i'll certainly agree with bob's analysis uh, because there's it's hard to come up with a better analysis but i do think that historically those who know me well would suggest that i would i would recommend as a coping mechanism that you take the over uh, because generally <laughs> speaking uh, whatever you're thinking it it never hurts to maybe guess a little bit longer than uh, than what other people might think and if they happen to deliver earlier then you're just happy about it and if it happens that you you are right in your uh, your estimates, well, then you won't be too disappointed by the outcome. And I, I think it's important to remember that the, the CDFI fund is, in a lot of ways, is dealing with a lot of different programs, a lot of different incentives, and their staffing is somewhat limited in terms of their resources. And so that that often means that um, they're doing uh, really great work with really limited resources. It's also important to remember that often some of the timelines are out of the fund's hands in terms of larger forces at work at Treasury or the administration that end up playing a role in the approval process and the release timeline. So a lot of those elements come into play as well. And despite the best efforts of the fund and all the great work they're doing, sometimes that means that things take longer than we might like or we might even hope. And that's just part of the fun in living in our world and playing in this space. And I think we're all used to it by now.
1: I liked your uh, over and under analogy, and I like the fact that you focused on the CDFI fund itself has a certain level of control in the award process, and then at a certain point, it moves to other areas within the administration that become a little more challenging to predict uh, a timeline. And in terms of the over under. I guess I would say over on the award announcement date, and I would uh, suggest applicants take under on the due date (laughs) so that you're uh, if you're uh, under on the due date and it ends up being later, at least you're ready. And obviously, if you uh, project, if you took the over, the under wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, you wouldn't be in a good position. So thank you for that in terms of the timing. And obviously, we'll send out a Novogratik breaking news release when the awards are announced, as those of you that have applied in the past know we do that every year and do other analysis and do look for the coming podcast when the award announcements do come out. So let's turn now to the second of our four parts of the podcast. And it sounds sort of simple, eligibility. <laughs> uh, but as I mentioned earlier, uh, my column in the May issue of the Novigrad Journal of Tax Credits addressed what CDEs should be doing now to prepare for the next round and focusing on one of the key issues being confirming that they'll be eligible to apply. So, Bob, I thought it'd be useful if you could remind CDEs who are listening uh, some of the key things that they should be doing now to ensure that they are eligible for the next round of allocations.
0: Sure. Thank you, Mike. Um, and I and I would stress that <clears throat> what we're talking about here uh, is some highlights, but the, uh, the full body of eligibility requirements uh, as uh, those that are prior applicants know is going to be in the Notice of Allocation Availability when that comes out. So um, use this as a good starting point, but there will be other uh, criteria that you're going to want to pay attention to once the NOAA is released. And again, we can't emphasize enough, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. I think that was Benjamin Franklin uh, that would uh, I would attribute that to. And As everyone knows, it's uh, been in this space in the past. Uh, It's incredibly uh, competitive. So uh, the the, the best thing you can do is to um, uh, start early in preparing for the upcoming round. And uh, assuming, and we hate to use that word sometimes, but assuming you're already certified as a CDE, uh, in no particular order, uh, what you want to do is make sure your controlling entity or any affiliates do not have any pending or delinquent debt owed to the federal government, that's affectionately referred to as do not pay uh, within uh, Treasury and the CDFI Fund uh, uh, agencies, uh, that that's a system that they utilize to determine whether or not uh, any delinquent debt uh, is owed. And you don't want to be surprised uh, by waiting for the round to open uh, for them to identify at some point that, uh, that there's uh, some dollar amount out there according to that system. Uh, Again, for prior allocatees, uh, you want to pay attention to the QEI issuance-Kwiliki closed thresholds. Um, By all means, go back to the 2020 round that opened in September, review those prior year QEI issuance and uh, Kwiliki closed requirements, uh, just for preview of what those thresholds may be in 2021. Uh, and take any steps necessary to satisfy them. Uh, Again, you'll recall the round opened in uh, September, a little shy of four months later in January uh, is when the the deadline was uh, that you needed to pay attention to. So just be conscious of that. Uh, And then for those of you that have been successful uh, in receiving allocations in the past, Uh, Of course, you're probably already doing this, but just to be on the safe side, we're going to mention, please to confirm compliance with the Schedule 1 uh, that you have with any prior allocation agreements. Uh, And while you're at it, for those of you that are CDFIs or uh, have other agreements, uh, notably assistance agreements in the case of grant programs or the bond guarantee agreement in the case of the bond guarantee program, uh, make sure that you or your affiliates are in compliance with any and all CDFI program uh, awards. Uh, and then beyond that, I guess there's the annual reporting requirements, um, just to make sure that you completed all of those requirements for previous allocations. Uh, and then something that doesn't get a lot of attention uh, and you don't want it to come to surprise you, are material events. Um, and you would go to the compliance portion of the NMTC webpage, uh, to identify what the material events uh, that could be triggered under new market tax credits. But you want to be cognizant of the fact that if you're getting awards in any of the other uh, programs, that you also uh, want to be aware of what the events might be uh, that would trigger material event uh, needing to be reported. Uh, in any of those agreements that you might have with the CDFI fund. In the case of new markets, uh, you you have 20 days from the date of the uh, material event. In the case of the other programs, I believe it's uh, a full 30 days. Uh, And then last but not least, again, we're all sort of anxiously awaiting for the application to come out. But in the meantime, um, even though the application for 21 was subject to PRA, uh, I don't believe we uh, saw any revisions to the assurances and certifications. Uh, and that's also another section. No reason to wait for the round to open. Uh, go ahead and take a look at the 2020 uh, application assurances and certifications, and uh, just to double check whether the responses to any of those questions would be false, uh, as in that case, uh, they would require a brief explanation.
1: All right. Thank you for that, Bob. I did want to follow up in one area. You said uh, You know, assuming you're already certified as a CDE, then you kind of went on to some other items. What are the if you're not already certified as a CDE and you're looking to form a CDE? What are the some of the deadlines that an app a a entity that's planning on applying should bear in mind with respect to deadlines for submitting certification applications?
0: Well, we sort of have some good news here. Um, the 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 long and the short of it is that uh, during the PRA process. Uh, It appeared initially that the CDFI fund was going to institute, similar to the grant programs, uh, an application deadline for certification uh, upon release of the NOAA. Now, this would have been a departure uh, from the history of the program where it had a small window, I think less than 30 days, but nevertheless, the round could have opened uh, and uh, you would have had a brief window in order to submit a certification application to become a community development entity, a CDE. Uh, The working group uh, weighed in, uh, others weighed in from the industry, uh, and it appears uh, from the best available information we have uh, that the CDFI Fund has resorted uh, or reverted back uh, to the historical practice of allowing a window uh, subsequent to the round opening. Uh, depending on when your crystal ball has the round opening mid-October, late October, somewhere along that line, uh, it appears that there will be some uh, period of time, albeit less than 30 days, no doubt, uh, that you would have an opportunity to apply as a CDE for certification.
1: And I would just uh, caveat that as it would appear, (laughs) but it's not known. And if I was an entity thinking of uh, applying or planning to apply. The first thing I would do is submit my CDE application and and not run the risk of you know some change in terms of what the ultimate rule is. There's that's something you can control. So there are a lot of things you can't control, and that's something you can control. and I would just get that done now. You've got to do it eventually. so there's no reason not to do it now.
2: Not only that, Mike, but I think it's also clear that uh, there's no real benefit to waiting to submit your application for CDE status. Uh, All you have to do is lose if you happen to wait too long. So uh, get it done earlier is always better than waiting.
1: Nicolo, if uh, CDE hasn't confirmed its eligibility yet or if they have some unresolved issues, uh, what are some of the things that Novigrad can do to help them?
2: Sure, and I think certainly when it comes to this issue, and in a lot of ways this plays more broadly into the entire application, but for a lot of CDEs or would-be applicants, uh, if, if you're new to the incentive, new to the party, then if you're a big fan of Disney, you might be singing to yourself uh, a whole new world in terms of all, all the exciting things you're going to have to understand and learn. Uh, if you're more of a dystopian novel person, you might call it a brave new world. But there's no, no question that there's an incredible amount of new aspects and elements that you have to learn in terms of how uh, our world works and how it functions. And I think both in terms of how it functions in reality, which is sort of one element. And then I think separately is sort of the prism, the paradigm through which the CDFI fund and the application really views the program in a lot of ways is almost a separate look at the incentive, look at the program that, I think applicants really have to learn to better understand. So just for example, when as Bob's been sort of listing off these various terms and requirements and limitations, a lot of my clients, especially if they're newer, they read those and they say, what does this mean? I'm not sure I understand what it means. I'm not even sure if it applies to me. Certainly, we're available to assist as you work your way through the application to better understand what the various terms, requirements, and and other indications are, are all about, what the fund is focused on. And I think, really help you to get your, your head around the idea of how to speak in, in CDFI speak and, and how to be responsive to the various sections of the application uh, so that as you do identify that there's issues that you may have, then we can help you understand them. Uh, help you resolve them. And that may include uh, getting uh, in contact with the CDFI fund to help resolve some of those issues, or may just involve working through various issues on your own side.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I mean, I kudos to your clients that look at the words, aren't quite sure what they mean, and call you. Because I know that what you really fear <laughs> is the client that you know thinks they know what the words mean, <laughs> doesn't quite have the right interpretation, and they end up uh, not uh, passing, meeting the requirement. And then lo and behold, by the time that's discovered, it can't be corrected. And I'll certainly always remember one client years ago that you know was part of a large institution. And there was a part of the institution that hadn't fully complied with uh, sort of some commitments uh, with the CDFI fund, and their application was bounced. Uh, and that was one of those things where you know if they had spent a little bit more time, being a little more paranoid about all of these eligibility requirements, uh, then they might have been able to identify it earlier in the process. And they certainly had an opportunity to correct it if it had been identified uh, early enough. So I would definitely encourage a little bit of paranoia on these eligibility requirements with uh, those that are thinking of applying and, you know, read the questions almost as if, you know, how is it that I don't qualify so that you'll help tease out, you know, some interpretations that maybe you wouldn't otherwise think about. And then also obviously reach out to uh, someone who's experienced like Nicolo
2: or Bob. Maybe they can almost assume that they're guilty until proven innocent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like that way of framing it as well. Uh, Assume you're guilty and seek proving your innocence. (laughs) So now let's turn to the third topic. Uh, I want to be sure that we discuss it. And that's, of course, leverage debt. So, Nicola, lining up sources of leverage debt was one of the 10 tips that you and Bob discussed in the webinar And I wanted you to explain to the listeners why lining up, first of all, what does it mean to line up leverage debt and how that fits into the capital structure and why it's so important for CDEs, particularly to be working on now?
2: Certainly as part of the investor strategy section of the application, one of the elements that the fund and reviewers are looking at as part of phase two of the application process is looking at the applicant's ability to raise capital and really raise QEIs. And within the NMTC industry, the vast preponderance of QEIs that are raised these days are raised through the leverage structure. And that means you you really have both an investor coming in and buying the tax credit equity strip. And usually you also have an economic investor, if you will, who's coming in to provide leverage debt as a source to also fund that particular QEI. And I think uh, an important aspect of why we focus so much on leveraged debt is because it is traditionally, historically been one of the most difficult pieces to secure, to identify. I think certainly if you look at the average NMTC transaction, the two hardest things to source are allocation and leveraged debt. And so certainly for an applicant who's looking to apply, especially if they're a new applicant and they're wanting to go out and line up commitment letters, letters of interest from potential investors, you're going to be checking the box, almost certainly checking the box to say that you plan to use a leverage structure. And therefore, you'll need to uh, be able to show that you have identified both sources of equity from usually from traditional tax credit equity type investors, but that you've also been able to identify sources of leverage debt from potential leverage sources. And certainly just some of those elements, some of the places where you might find that debt could include traditional lenders, hard money, third-party lenders. But also it's very common for many of my applicants to reach out to their pipeline transactions, many of whom are bringing self-leverage and or other sources of leverage to their transaction and actually have them write an LOI Related to the self leverage that they're bringing to the party.
1: So maybe you can share with our listeners how the importance of this right now in terms of how it affects your application, how important it is to the CDFI fund reviewers sure, uh, sure. in terms of the scoring, because it's ultimately we care about the score. So we get Absolutely. High enough, rank high enough to be selected such that you then focus on the allocation amount.
2: Absolutely. And and I think it's important to remember, this is uh, the fourth section of the application. And the first two sections of the application are scored during phase one of the reviewing process. And sections three and four, they tell us in the application materials are not scored during phase one, but are reviewed, considered, and evaluated by the CDFI fund. And I think Certainly, an applicant for an applicant to 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 be considered as eligible to receive an award, they need to score high enough. Uh, On sections three and four of the application, certainly an applicant who scored uh, insufficiently uh, high would find themselves in a spot where they would either receive no award or a much smaller award than they could otherwise expect to receive. And I think uh, another wrinkle here when it comes to this specific section of the investor strategy part of the application is that lining up these sources takes time. And that's true of most things in the application, right? You're not gonna be able to pull an all-nighter and complete the application the day before it's due. It's just not possible, at least, not if you're expecting to have a strong application. And that's especially true when it comes to lining up these commitments and letters of interest for both for tax credit equity and for leverage debt. And most of my clients, it takes them weeks and in some cases, months to go out, identify potential sources, begin those conversations. In some cases, there may be some underwriting. There's a dance that takes place in terms of getting those letters of interest and those commitments. And all that takes time. And not only that, but guess what? Everybody else is going to be knocking on those same doors at the same time that you are. And so that's another reason why it's important. Important to be getting in line as soon as possible, so that you can then demonstrate to a reader that uh, that you really can execute on your ability to go out and raise the capital necessary to deploy your award.
1: That's a really good point you make about getting in line early <laughs> or getting to the front of the line. Uh, you know, might as well be reaching out to them now uh, because as you get closer to the uh, deadline, as you mentioned, they'll be very busy. It's not like they're just focused on helping clients with applications. They also have transactions are closing and the rest. Uh, you know, So uh, once again, the theme of this podcast is you can never start too soon uh, and you should start now. So, Bob, there are some uh, common issues for applicants uh, when they list their pipeline of projects and their financing, which some or another ties in to the leverage debt, be it sort of third party or related party leverage debt. Could you share some of your thoughts on those issues?
0: Sure. Um, Yeah, One of the things that resonated, I I think, quite a bit in the uh, webinar we just did, Mike, was um, not only the early and often uh, to get started, but also the threat of consistency uh, that I think is uh, is something that the CDFI fund is looking for uh, from applicants uh, from the uh, first section of the application all the way through to the fifth uh, section. Uh, So with respect to the pipeline of projects, Um, I'm just going to sort of pick on table A5 because for those that have been applying for years, um, they they saw the CDFI fund pivot from a lot of narrative discussion about the pipeline to um, uh, putting a table A5 into the application uh, and therefore making the quote-unquote discussion, if you will, of the pipeline uniform, Uh, which I'm sure in part was to facilitate the review by the phase one reviewers. uh, And also, quite frankly, would make it easier uh, to pull that information out uh, to the degree in which they were uh, trying to get a specific response, maybe to a congressional inquiry or something along those lines. A lot easier to pull from a table than it would be narratives. So just by way of example, uh, in terms of using the pipeline of investments, uh, as, uh, as uh, the example for consistency, you're going to want to make sure with respect to Table A5 and the list of the pipeline projects that are in Table A5, that when it comes to the uh, Qualiki activities uh, or activity that you noted in response to Question 13b, you want to make sure that you're being consistent in your response to Table A5 with what your response was to question 13B in the application. Uh, And that was respect to uh, activities with respect to business types, which is also reflected uh, in table A5. You're going to want to make sure that you're being consistent with what you uh, reflect in table A5 with the narrative response that you have uh, to question 17, the projected NMTC investments, the little bit of narrative that you're still uh, in a position to respond to regarding uh, your project pipeline, uh, and then this one's a tricky one. This is a, a catch you if you're not too, uh, too paying too close attention. <clears throat> Last but certainly not least, um, you know, if you just decide when you're populating uh, table A five with your projects, and you just want to start checking off all of these outcomes that are going to be attributable to these dynamic projects, just be mindful that the CDFI fund is going to expect you to complete. The narrative section for each and every one of those selected outcomes in response to question 26. So you want to make sure that you pay very close attention to the outcomes that you select relative to your project pipeline in table A5 with your narrative responses to question 26 and community outcomes. So those are just some examples, uh, many more that we could pick and choose from, but uh, that's, that's a good start right there.
1: Well, thank you for that. And one of the themes there is consistency, uh, which ties into the theme about early and often, because one of the challenges when you're doing the process is the application is so complex that oftentimes different parties are responsible for drafting different sections. (laughs) And then you share it for review, and you need to make sure that multiple people are reviewing the application as a whole to help tease out those areas. Where there's inconsistencies, and for the experienced reviewers, those that are scoring the application, a lot of those will jump out pretty fast. Uh, if you uh, if they end up uh, slipping through, so once again, early and often, and multiple reviewers of the entire application. So now let's turn to the fourth topic, uh, another one of the 10 tips that you discussed in the webinar. And something tells you the webinar had more than 10 tips. (laughs) I think 10 plus is probably the better way. (laughs) Uh, But uh, one of them was how to communicate your track record. uh, And more specifically, how to address whether or not to rely on a controlling entity's track record. So Bob, maybe you could share with listeners this whole issue about track record, controlling entity applicant, uh, and what they should know.
0: Sure. Yeah, this is really, really important. Um, you know, there's uh, there's 10 priority points uh, that, that are available, five for investing in unrelated entities. Uh, that's an all or nothing. And uh, unless there's a, an egregious mistake, Mike, to your example a minute ago about consistency in the left hand or what the right's doing, uh, unless you somehow fail to answer yes to that, you're going to get those five points pretty automatic. The other five here is what's far more... Um, uh, up for grabs, if you will. So uh, we're going to focus on this one, uh, and just to, to to point out to those, particularly that might be first-time applicants, um, you know, the, the the authorizing statute does require the CDFI Fund to give priority to any applicant that has a track record of successfully providing capital or technical assistance to disadvantaged businesses or communities. Uh, And uh, again, it's not an all or nothing. It's up to five points for demonstrating such a track record. So as you might well have imagined, for those that perhaps are a startup entity uh, that does not itself have a track record, uh, that uh, particularly would lend itself uh, to opting for the track record of a controlling entity.
1: Thank you for that, Bob. So how can CDEs improve their chances of getting a large allocation amount? So there's the make sure you're filling it out right in terms of which entity you're using. Uh, but beyond that, uh, what are some of the ways this question informs getting a large allocation amount?
0: So, again, it's important to note um, that you have a combination, uh, I believe, uh, in, ter- in the determination for the, uh, for the five points between the narrative responses and the application. Uh, which in this case, uh, I think uh, for the 21 round would be questions 20 and 21, uh, if uh, at 21, if applicable, uh, but then also exhibit B, uh, tables B1 through B4, uh, which is the track record of, of activities uh, in the NMTC application. Uh, I think uh, digging into the weeds a little bit um, with respect to the number of years for which you claim a credit for serving DBCs, Uh, I think you want to focus on uh, having a track record of five or more years of experience uh, as a minimum in order to uh, uh, achieve uh, potentially the five points. Uh, And the other uh, bit of uh, information uh, that that goes into uh, making that determination is the uh, dollar amount that's uh, reflected in Exhibit B, uh, the total dollar volume of direct financing activities that have been provided to DBCs and um, using a companion guidance document that the CDFI fund puts out at the end of uh, every round when they make an award announcement, um, they have a section referred to uh, affectionately as general characteristics of a highly ranked application. Uh, and there, uh, they specifically point to the five or more years of experience as well as the 70% uh, of the total dollar volume of direct financing. So, we, uh, as we did in the webinar, we do want to always uh, try and cite CDFI fund guidance. Uh, as opposed to folks rendering, thinking we're rendering personal opinions or observations. So that was strictly uh, from the guidance document from the CDFI fund. So I think folks uh, should pay careful attention to that uh, in thinking about uh, whether or not they're in a position to uh, realize up to five priority points uh, in the upcoming round.
1: And I think that's what also makes uh, both of you and others at got so valuable as you've you've read this for years and years and you can tease out, oh, they changed this word, they added this, they added that. And that helps uh, guide you in terms of how emphasis might change. Clearly, the the whole application process is an evolving process, which obviously is one of the reasons why it's so challenging for even those that have won uh, awards over the last couple of rounds. There's nothing automatic about the next round. And as the application itself sort of evolves, they have to find the things that they were doing well and are still viewed well and and make improvements in those areas as the application evolves and it gets more competitive. But Nicola, there are certainly other concerns or issues or ideas you have about the track record that you might want to highlight to our listeners.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll share a few additional observations. I think in general, when it comes to track record, uh, more is more, uh, at least up to a certain point. uh, At some point, you you get to a point where you've got the law of diminishing returns starts to kick in. Uh, But certainly, I think one thing we've noticed over the years as we've looked at applications and track records and award sizes, it seems like, and it's a very rough sort of general rule, but it seems like it's common for the fund to award an application when they do receive an award about sort of twice their annual amount of, of activity, uh, historically speaking. So if you're say a $10 million a year shop, you might <clears> roughly <throat> expect to receive a $20 million award. Uh, or if you're a, a $40 million a year shop, certainly $80 million would be double that that amount. Obviously, uh, the, the law is not intended to be precise. Uh, and there are some limits there because certainly if you look at the award sizes of the last few rounds, 70, 75 tends to be right around the biggest awards. But I, I think that gives you at least Uh, Some ideas around the amount that you might request for any given organization in terms of not trying to go too nuts. I did have a client once who had zero track record, had a pipeline of 900 million and applied for 900 million and received zero. So certainly they went a little bit nuts with their request. But I think when you think about track record more generally, one of the biggest misconceptions that I often see people have is they think track record means doing kulikis. The only thing that I conclude is actual new markets loans made pursuant to a previous allocation. In which case, of course, you end up with this chicken versus the egg problem, where if you've never received an award before, you could never have a track record. And so therefore, your probability of receiving a future award is incredibly diminished. And, And I think the key is that when you look at the definition of what constitutes a track record, it's not Kuliki activities, it's Kuliki-like activities. And and obviously, as a result, that means for most organizations that you get to include lots of... Other activities, a lot of your commercial lending, as long as it's not to a sin business or to residential rental real estate or a farm, not as much sinning on the farm these days. But as long as you're not lending to businesses that are prohibited under the new markets program, generally speaking, you can probably include that as as part of your track record. And I think for a lot of Applicants, that's a revelation. Obviously, the key is not only do you want a track record of having done QLICI like activities, but then you, you want to be able to demonstrate that as many of those activities as possible have been directed to DBCs. Speaking of DBCs. And DBC is again for our listeners. Uh, DBCs are disadvantaged businesses and disadvantaged communities. And for some reason, it's not DBDC. We just sort of, um, we only repeat the D once. So we just call it DBCs. And when it comes to DBCs, they actually change the definition ever so slightly, at least on the DB side. For this most recent round, at least in the draft of the application that we have, uh, assuming the draft uh, ends up going through to the final, and and it really relates to there are three prongs to the definition of a disadvantaged business, and the third prong historically was uh, a business that lacks adequate access to capital, and they've changed that to really be businesses that are minority-owned or controlled and that lack access to capital. And I think that's a a bit of a a shakeup from prior years in terms of what constitutes a disadvantaged business. And and, and to some extent, for some applicants who had been relying on this to really count a large portion of their activity as being directed to disadvantaged businesses, this might be a bit of a sea change in terms of how they report their DBC activity from the past.
1: I mean, it seems like this change in the definition Uh, depending on how it's applied. And I recognize that we, A, we don't know what the final definition will be, but there's probably a high probability (laughs) that it'll be as you just described it. Uh, And I would suspect that there is a good probability that that means that applicants that have applied in the past that normally say, I've got my track record done. Because usually when a new client comes in, One of the first things we talk about is we got to collect your track record. (laughs) It's going to take a lot of time and energy and the rest. Uh, And some, it takes more than others, but for all of them, it takes a lot of energy. Uh, And then we also have to find a way to identify the the DBCs. So a lot of clients, after they've done it the first year, they're like, this is great. Now I can just layer on another years of activity and march forward. sounds like that may not be the case for some applicants for them to go back potentially and redefine their uh, DVCs, which is probably something they wanna be thinking about doing now.
2: I think you're right, Mike, that there's, uh, first of all, there's some question as to whether this particular definitional change is applied retroactively or simply a prospective change. And I know that the, the working group has requested that the CDFI fund give us some indication regarding whether it is prospective or also retroactive and And I think uh, fundamentally, at times, it seems like the CDFI fund will, when they do have changes similar to this. It's not uncommon for those changes to end up being uh, retroactive. So I wouldn't be surprised if it were retroactive. Uh, we'll have to see what the fund comes on and says. Hopefully they tell us one way or the other. Uh, but obviously, I think for all applicants, it's something they need to be prepared for looking at, thinking about, and that might include having to go back and revisit your previous activity, I think going back as far as 2016. I don't know, Bob, if you have other thoughts there as well.
0: I think <clears throat> I think it's just going to be very helpful um, if the CDFI fund uh, can provide some guidance um, as early as possible, because there's, as we know, there's, there's folks already working on their applications. And then depending on how they are looking for uh, applicants to treat this, whether it's retrospective or uh, prospective, there is going to be a, a fair amount of analysis that's going to have to be undertaken. So, you know, it's, now that I'm on this side, it's I fully appreciate the window, the very narrow window uh, <laughs> that, uh, that 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 folks have to apply, which is why we continue to uh, encourage uh, getting uh, getting a start. Uh, so this would be another example of something uh, if the guidance was be would was be was available, made available before the uh, round open, uh, that that could be very very helpful to folks.
1: No, I uh, totally agree. Getting guidance sooner than later would definitely be helpful also would encourage uh, prospective applicants to go ahead and start collecting the information as if it was retrospective and you do have to fill in your track record that way it's probably data that would be useful to have in any event but also something you want to be thinking about how, how you're going to gather it in the rest because by the time we get the information as to whether or not it is or isn't uh, too much too much time may have uh, went by uh, and obviously if you want to gamble on it not being requiring a restatement, then that would be a gamble. And then if you ended up requiring a restatement, uh, you might not have time to get it all done accurately. Uh, any last minute comments from either of you? This has been highly informative. And let me remind my listeners again uh, that Bob and Nicolo have much more to say on the topic uh, in the webinar. So I will share a link to the webinar uh, that they participated in, where you will hear you know, a lot more, the other eight tips, if you will, plus. Uh, but i also suspect some of our listeners in addition to watching the webinar i want to reach out to nicole or bob directly for counsel or assistance on the next uh, application round or other situations they might have new market cash credit related Um, i'll note to my uh, listeners that if you do want to uh, reach out to them i'll put the email addresses in the show notes but in addition to that, I'd like to ask each of you, Nico and Bob, to share your email addresses uh, on the web on the webinar, on the podcast here. I'm sure they're on the webinar too. Uh, maybe Nicola, you can go first.
2: Sure. Well, due to an evil conspiracy between my parents and your parents, Mike, my email address is comprised exactly half of vowels including all i's and o's and if you were a contestant on wheel of fortune you might go bankrupt just trying to buy them all but here's my email n-i-c-o-l-o dot p-i-n-o-l-i at n-o-v-o-c-o dot com uh great thank you for that nicolo and bob uh b-o-b dot i
0: b-a-n-e-z at
1: And I would note to our listeners, if you do want to reach out to them, I'd encourage you to do so now. Uh, They both get very busy as the application round gets closer. Uh, So you'll want to reach out to them now and reserve time with them now. So as I mentioned, those email addresses will be Uh, in the show notes, uh, where I'll also provide the link to the webinar and a link to my column with tips for CDEs considering applying for the next round. Uh, Bob and Nicola, please stick around for a few minutes for the off mic section, where I'll get to ask you some questions that are not related, or at least directly related (laughs) to the New Market Tax Credit. And I do look forward forward to hearing your answers. Uh, To our listeners, uh, please be sure to tune in to next week's podcast. I'll be speaking with John Shreddy, my partner in our Dover, Ohio office. And head of the Opportunity Zones Working Group. We'll discuss the latest Novogratic analysis of qualified opportunity fund capital raising activity. It's something we, it's a report we put out every six months. And we're about to release a special report covering investments in qualified opportunity funds through June 30th of 2021. John and I are going to discuss what the report reveals in terms of top line fundraising as well as more specific information about the types of businesses and geographic areas and funds getting the most investment, which means if you're involved in community development, you're going to want to tune in to hear both the details from the report and perhaps more significantly what it might indicate for the future. You can be sure you're notified of that episode and each week's episode by following or subscribing to the tax rate Tuesday podcast, simply go to wwwnovococom slash podcast to subscribe to and to stream the show directly from our website. You can also follow or subscribe to Tax Credit Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Okay, Bob and Nicolo. now I'm pleased to reach out to you and ask you some of our off mic uh, questions. Uh, this is where listeners get to know a bit more about our podcast guests. So I'm gonna start, I have uh, three questions. Uh, And I'm going to start by asking something I've asked many of our recent guests. Uh, During the course of the pandemic, I've gotten to do a lot more book reading. (laughs) Uh, And as a consequence, I've been uh, reading a lot of books. So I'm curious what book uh, each of you have read recently that you found interesting or thought provoking. Nicolo, I'll let you go first.
2: Sure. It's probably no surprise, Mike, that I am Italian and certainly a a proud member of the Italian diaspora and uh, one of the great heroes among many in uh, in Italian history. Although I think more recently, he's been styled a bit more as a villain is Christopher Columbus. And one of the books I read recently, although not directly related to him, certainly relates to the period immediately prior to his arrival in the New World. Uh, The book is called and named 1491, obviously 1492 being the year when uh, Columbus and his crew arrived in the New World. And 1491 really speaks to uh, the history and cultures and activities of Native cultures in North and South America uh, prior to contact from uh, Europe and and I think in a lot of ways, it was really fascinating to, to get a better understanding of those cultures. And, and the author actually goes through, and, and, and in many ways, he's very reliant on the archaeological record. Uh, because obviously many of these cultures didn't necessarily have written records, and uh, as as he takes a look at uh, about a half a dozen to a dozen different cultures sprinkled around North and South America, it really goes into some depths, uh, really looking at their relationship with each other, their relationship with the environment, their degree of sophistication, and and a lot of their activities as as cultures that I found really fascinating to better understand, and I think certainly part of it that he he speaks to a lot in the book is how our understanding of a lot of these cultures has has changed even in even in recent history even since when uh, the time when i was a kid back in elementary and middle school and a lot of the things that we learned in school a lot of our understanding of these cultures has broadened and expanded and even i think in a lot of ways debunked a lot of our previous understanding of what had happened. So I I certainly found it to be an intriguing read and very exciting and interesting to learn more about these people and their culture.
1: Uh, Excellent. I'll definitely have to add that to my reading list. Uh, I always enjoy books like that, because as you say, they build out the the, uh, details. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of the sort of top line summary that you get in school uh, isn't very accurate when you get more of the details. So Bob, how about you?
0: So um, I think um, in connection with Juneteenth, I uh, was um, looking for a specific type of reading material, and I think I happened to fall on something that was, uh, for my purposes, very, very enlightening. Um, we Were Eight Years in Power by ta Coates. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name, uh, but I found his essays about race, politics, uh, and history were incredibly
1: insightful. Great, right, I'll add that to my list as well. So, let's go to the second question. Uh, and that has to do with uh, what part of your job energizes you the most? Now, you can't say preparing new market tax for applications <laughs> for clients, because <laughs> I know that is it for both of you. <laughs> so, I'm taking that one off the table. So, if that was how you thought you were going to answer this question, you got to think fast. <laughs> Uh, I'll start with you, Bob, since the go went first last time.
0: Sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a variation on the theme. Um, anything CDFI related. Uh, so, for <laughs> example, policies that include or impact CDFIs uh, and otherwise uh, fund for me is our clients uh, applying to the CDFI fund uh, for not only allocations of new market tax credits, uh, but also for any of the grant programs that the CDFI fund uh, is now uh, offering.
2: Great. Thank you. Niccolo? I'm going to have to go pretty generically with the challenge. Uh, I think as uh, accounting professionals and certainly more broadly as finance professionals, we tend to face and our clients tend to face any number of very exciting and challenging situations. And they look to us to assist them in evaluating and analyzing their options, what the various uh, potential ramifications are of those options. My clients don't come to me because they just got their utility bill and they're not sure what they need to debit. Instead, they come to me because they've got really difficult and, and challenging situations, some of which are exciting and fun, where we're helping them make their all their wildest hopes and dreams come true. And in some cases, they might not be quite as fun because they're, they're very, problems that they've encountered, and they need our help to, to avoid a, a bad outcome. And certainly, all of those types of challenges make for an exciting day at work. And, and I think that's part of the fun of why we get up every morning is because we know there's going to be something new and exciting that we'll have to address in the course of our day.
1: No, I definitely can relate to both of your descriptions about what energizes you the most, and definitely the client service, the client interaction, the... Uh, helping solve problems and helping find opportunities uh, is really rewarding and what i like to think that we at Novogratik excel at. So I do have one more question. Uh, now, our listeners don't know your ages, uh, and this is audio only, so they can't look if they haven't seen the webinar. <laughs> they may never have seen you in person. But I will share that it's been a while since either of you celebrated your 25th birthday. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. So my question is, if you could give the 25-year-old version of yourself advice, what would that advice be? Uh, Nicole, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, Mike, our, our webinar was all audio, no video. So they wouldn't get any clues by watching the webinar. Okay. Uh, But one thing you may not know is when I was 25 years old, I actually joined the firm. And so your question has an element of serendipity to it in terms of uh, how long I've been with the firm at it was actually way back in 2002. So I've nearly been with the firm for 20 years now, which uh, makes the math easy if you're trying to define my age, of course.
1: <laughs> you um, did self reveal.
2: <laughs> I, I did a little bit there. I think when it comes to giving my 25 year old self some advice, I, I'm always a little bit worried about the lessons we learned from Back to the Future, where I'm a little bit um, gun shy about disrupting the space time continuum. <laughs> and <clears throat> the last thing i'd want to do is uh, be responsible for something that results in biff getting control of hill valley Um, but at the same time you know if doc brown can decide what the hell then i suppose i might as well give myself at least um somewhat of a pass here and maybe what i have to share isn't so much advice for me specifically but certainly for us more generally and those of you who have been to mike's office know that he has a sign in his office that says these are the good old days." And uh, that particular sign has the benefit of of being subject to interpretation depending on who the reader is and what they think about. But certainly when I remember seeing that sign as a 25-year-old, uh, it certainly made me think of a couple of different things. Number one is uh, living in the moment, recognizing that um, whatever is going on right now, there are a lot of things that are going right. And that uh, that you shouldn't be shy about celebrating those things that are going right right now. Uh, and I think secondarily, it also always made me think that even as great as things are right now, they can always be better tomorrow. And I should always expect that. And I should always be working towards making them even better tomorrow. And so I've always loved that sign in your office, Mike, and I always found it to be in many ways very inspiring.
1: Well, thank you for that. As you uh likely know that was a a saying that rick hutchins used to say a very long time ago rick has since retired for the guests that aren't familiar with rick hutchins he was one of the founding partners of Novogradic. and i can remember going in and that was one of his common sayings and i loved it so much i put it on my wall so uh, bob how about you what advice would you give your 25 year old (laughs) Uh,
0: At at the risk of possibly um, uh, starting an an R-rated response, let's see how how (laughs) far we go here. Uh, Don't promise what you can't deliver. Don't do anything half-assed. And when it comes talking, when it comes to talking, sometimes less is more.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for those. You'll have to uh, email me uh, all three of those. Uh, I actually have a habit of every day, virtually every day, I actually text my kids some word of advice, some phrase like that, something that I found that was sort of touching and meaningful to me. Um, and yes, all my kids are in college or above, so I'm not <laughs> texting a three-year-old. Because <laughs> uh, uh, it's been a while since I've had my 25th birthday. <laughs> uh, but uh, those, are, those are very good sayings. And very good advice. So I'll have to uh, uh, share those with my uh, kids over the uh, coming weeks. All right. So excellent. Thank you both for sharing with our audience those engaging and thought-provoking replies. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening.
0: This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company LLP. Archive podcasts are available online at
2: wwwnovacocom forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the tax credit tuesday podcast in itunes you can find related links referenced
0: in this podcast in our show notes at wwwnovacocom forward slash
2: podcast novogratic and company llp is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide Learn more about our professional services at www.novico.com.